y'all. I'm Johnny. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I have a seven and a ten-year-old daughter. And one of the things I love about being a dad is getting to give them gifts. And they know that about me, and they can usually milk the gifts from me. Um, and, and, and one of the reasons I like to is because sometimes I benefit from the gifts I give them. For example, I give gifts on Epiphany as opposed to Christmas. I wait till Jesus gets his gifts, then I give my kids gifts. And I got them a Nintendo Switch. Maybe some of you know about this. And if you, then the, the, this video game device keeps track of how many hours each user plays. So my two daughters and me, and I think I play the most. So if you go there, you'll see that I've maxed out the hours. So I think being a dad is pretty cool. <clears throat> Recently, it was just their birthday. Um, and their, their birthday is like five days apart, so they have them together. And I got them hoverboards. Um, are you familiar with this dangerous device? They're like automatic skateboards. And my 10-year-old got on it, and she's pretty good at it, and my 7-year-old's learning. They're figuring it out. The first time my 7-year-old got on it, she, she fell, and she, you know, she came to tears. She wasn't too hurt. She got up. You know, Her body is kind of elastic, so she, so she can endure some falls and be okay. But I felt that I didn't want her to experience it alone. And so I decided to give it a try, too. This was not a good idea. Because I completely wiped out, and I fell, and I hurt my hand and my hip. And it, this was almost three weeks ago. And I still feel it. She's okay. She recovered three minutes. For me, it took me a long time. Because I guess my body isn't made of the same stuff that hers is anymore. But I didn't want them to try it without me trying it, too. I wanted to learn. I wanted to experience what they experience. And even this old, broken body of mine didn't experience the fall exactly the same way that my seven-year-old did. There was part of it that felt good just to be in her shoes, to know what she experienced and to relate to her. I got to experience it, but more importantly, she saw me experience it too. And I think that's exactly what God has in mind when God incarnated as Jesus. Jesus entered human flesh, the Word became flesh, to become one with us, just as Jesus is one with the Father. You know, it's like he got on the hoverboard in front of us and fell so that we might know he loves us. So that, he, so that we know he relates to us and connects to us. This intimate connection that we share with Jesus, who experienced what it's like to be human, binds us closely with him. We're one with Jesus, and Jesus is in us. We become more fully ourselves when we become more like Jesus. Following God is a journey to become more fully human and more fully ourselves. As we become more like Christ, 
we become more like our true selves too. So when we read the passage from Matthew 25, I hope our takeaway is in learning who Jesus is in so that we might know how to mimic Jesus in the same manner. Jesus is in the least of these. And when we serve them, we serve him. This is a common motif throughout the Bible and throughout both Jewish and Christian tradition. Like in Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. Or in Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing. The passage at the end of Matthew is apocalyptic. It's about the end of the world and judgment day. Jesus uses judgmental language about separating sheep and goat. And his measure for judgment is how we treated and served the least of these and then in turn, Jesus. Goats and sheep are separated because they flocked together. But goats needed to be sheltered from the cold, whereas the sheep could withstand the night. Like in Matthew 13, Jesus refers to separating the wheat and the weeds. And if you look back in Matthew 25, you see parables of separating good servants, wise stewards, faithful bridesmaids, this is how judgment is happening in Matthew. So Jesus is doing a similar sorting in this passage. John Chrysostom, the church father, says that Jesus separates the sheep and the goat to denote the unprofitableness of one and the fruitfulness of the other. For sheep are productive in fleece and milk and lambs. Jesus is separating those who inherit the kingdom of God and those who don't. And the pious people wonder how they missed the opportunity to serve Jesus. When did we see you, Jesus? Jesus tells them that when they did not serve the least of these, they didn't serve him. And for me, the power of the passage lies in the fact that Jesus says he is in the least of these. He is among us all and in us all and specifically tells us in the most vulnerable among us. You know, I'm not shy about the political and social justice implications of what that means. And I think it's important for us to fully express that in our life. You know, so for me, it hasn't been uncommon to express that the least of these refer to oppressed people as we understand them today. And even though I think that's true, deeper than that, Jesus refers to the least of these not just by their social position, but in familial terms. They're siblings in Christ, brothers and sisters. So Jesus is referring to his followers, his disciples. In Jewish texts, the nations are judged by their treatment of Israel and similarly, the same thing is happening here. They're being judged by their treatment of God's disciples. Both the disciples of Jesus and Israel represent the 
self-effacement and humility that we're to model. A small, humble nation that is not powerful in wealth or military might, just like Jesus' disciples are also humble. Because of their faithfulness to Jesus, they've sacrificed everything to follow him. Sometimes commentators wonder, so is this about oppressed people today, or is it about God's people, God's disciples? My viewpoint is that the answer is both. That it is his disciples because they are oppressed, but also oppressed people around us have a special proximity to God. Because their social positions give them proximity to the one who liberates them. The disciples of Jesus left their careers and families to do so. They voluntarily took on a simple life to radically commit to following Jesus. The disciples here are the least of these because of their commitment to follow Jesus. Sometimes we stop interpreting, though, the passage as simply care for one another, care for the disciples of Jesus. But something more is happening. Jesus is saying his followers are destitute and the destitute are his followers. Jesus asks us then to divest our power and our wealth to follow him, to give it away. Like in the story of the rich ruler in Luke 18, who was asked to give away his wealth to follow Jesus. The goat, as it were, the ones who did not serve the least of these and thus did not serve Jesus, were preoccupied. They couldn't let go. They couldn't focus on what Jesus wanted them to. They couldn't let go of their worldly work. They missed the mark. They focused on the wrong things. They missed Jesus, who was in the oppressed. They wondered where he was because they didn't see him in the oppressed, and they didn't see the oppressed around them. We see Christians today that are focused on things other than serving the least of these. They're more concerned about things like critical race theory than police brutality. Or more concerned about how children are affected in, by drag shows in Tennessee than by the children sleeping on the floor in Tennessee's Department of Children's Services. It's when Christians in Philadelphia, where I'm from, are more concerned about gun rights than gun violence. And in Philadelphia, we have a lot of gun violence right now. They strain out a gnat, as Jesus says, but swallow the camel. As Anabaptists, we're, our plain call to obedience cuts through some of this. Because we're called to live simply, and that matches this radical discipleship. We're called to follow Jesus in ways that are self-sacrificial and humble. And it will result in, a, in necessarily needing to be cared for and in turn caring for others. In these disciples, Jesus is in and one with. Jesus' entire ministry is focused on the downtrodden. He came to free the captives and liberate the oppressed. So the downtrodden and the oppressed are his disciples. He came for them. That's who made up the nation of Israel, the emancipated slaves, 
And like the prophets before him who freed and served the oppressed, Jesus is as well. He comes as the God of the oppressed to free them from death. His cross saves them from death, but Jesus' cross also defeats systems of death, that further oppression. The least of these that we are to serve refer to oppressed people among us too, the disrespected and the disinherited. Jesus is in those who have a vacancy within themselves for him, <clears throat> a vacancy that is filled by him. Jesus knows their experience and has lived their experience. And he calls us to ally with them and to serve them, but also to take on their posture, eschewing worldly power and strength. Serving the least among us means serving God. As individual Christians and as churches, as conferences, as denominations, as the body of Christ, Jesus is plain that we will be judged by how we respond to this call. And he warns that those who don't feed the hungry and clothe the poor and welcome the stranger and visit the prisoner have failed to serve God. I assure you that when you have done it for the, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. This apocalyptic end of the world language that Jesus uses very clearly implies that judgment will follow. Even an eternity of suffering and damnation, very strong language Jesus uses. <clears throat> I believe that this challenges us in some of our basic assumptions about salvation, that we have to serve the least of these to inherit the kingdom. So a question that we might ask, especially in Protestantism in general, is if we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, then what gives? Why, why is this happening? Why, why am I going to be judged by what I do when you've told me I'm saved by faith, by grace through faith? I think the answer lies in James's famous saying that faith without works is dead. Our faith needs to bear fruit. It must have outcomes. And if it doesn't, it is dead. It wasn't there. Good works can lead to faith, lead us to being pure in heart, and even lead us to salvation. They show us who Jesus is. We don't inherit the kingdom by virtue of our works. Our works open us up to Jesus. Our works don't save us. They create a way for the Spirit to enter, though. They create avenues for God to know us. So even though we might feel pressure to act in certain ways or face judgment, I want us to pay attention to what those named as goats are doing. They defend themselves. They're confused about how they could have failed to see Jesus. But rather than defending themselves, they could have repented. In fact, in the same gospel, Jesus reminds us that we are to forgive to be forgiven. Forgive our siblings 70 times 7. There is room for grace here. So our posture then is to be repentant when we've missed the mark. Must be willing to be turned around. Too often we guard against our, our um, accusa accusations that people make against us. Guard against how we've hurt and harmed people around us. 
You know, we claim we're not prejudicial, we're not racist, we're not sexist, homophobic, instead of listening to the least of these among us. Pay attention to them and their stories. And then see where Jesus is in the midst. Don't miss Jesus in the oppressed around you. Maybe we'll miss him sometimes, and maybe we'll fail to entertain angels. Maybe we'll fail to see him amidst the oppressed among us. But even if we do, there is hope for us because we can be humble and repentant. Because even those that Jesus is telling us this parable about, these goats and these sheep, none of us are fully one or the other. We're all along our way. We're, we're uh, complicated. But our Savior is one with us too and he's walked in our shoes. You know, he's been on the same hoverboard that we have, too. So, yeah, what do we do with this? We, you know, as, as a church, you, and, and you all do this, too. You know, participate in food shelters, food pantries, visiting people in prison, clothing the poor, housing the homeless. I think a lot of our, our congregations are doing this, and I applaud us for that. But let's advocate for systems to change, too. So that means considering local and regional political engagement. Jesus might ask us why we didn't advocate for the least of these when we chose to be apolitical or politically quietist. You know, but and more than that, our churches need to be safe places for the oppressed. So we need to consider racial minorities in our community, queer folks and women and disabled folks and so on. If they aren't safe for the least of these, if our churches aren't safe for the least of these, Jesus is plainly saying they aren't safe for him. Jesus is among the least of us, the littlest of siblings. We must then pay attention specifically to their care in our bodies because it is in their care that we care for Jesus. God stands with the oppressed, does not take a third way between oppressor and oppressed. He meets no one in the middle. Everyone's invited to the table. And for the powerful among us, the invitation comes with a cost. But for everyone, the invitation is liberation. The oppressed are welcomed to be freed. We create a table for them. But the table is extended to all of us. And we risk surrendering it all to self-empty and be filled with Jesus as we take Jesus' side. Amen. Let's respond together with this confession. We confess that we often resist talking about sin in part because of its misuse, but also because it is hard to confront sin in ourselves, even when it leads to greater freedom. We confess Having confessed our sin, let us receive God's grace and step into the freedom of being more fully the beloved ones God has made us to be.